Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is... Charles Chadwick Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Charles. Uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about you. Where are you from? Uh, I'm originally from uh, North Carolina, a town called Jacksonville, home of Camp Lejeune. No associated with the military, but my grandparents and family history has always been sharecroppers. So I kind of grew up in like a country farm area. Got it. I could gather you were somewhere below the Mason-Dixon from your accent. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely from the South. So what uh, what was it like growing up for you? At the time, growing up in a country town, all you knew is what you knew. Uh, whether it was the local Piggly Wiggly or Friday night, if there's a football game, everybody in the community come out. And uh, just growing up in that environment, also the Bible Belt, I'm not a religious person, but my background and my truth is that I was raised in a church environment. So, I, um, But I'm not religious by any means. Uh, don't want to push religion on anybody, but that's just my truth and story. So, you know, growing up in a small town, it allowed me to use my imagination. And it's really, it, it really was more pros than cons living in the country town versus a big uh, state like New York or California. In my personal case, I, I really enjoy North Carolina. It's made me, bred at me for who I am today growing up in North Carolina. <laughs> what was, uh, what was high school like there? aside from the Friday night football games? High school was pretty cool. I went to a school called Southwest Onslow Stallions. Uh, we were a football team, won a couple state championships in football. But unfortunately, I was more of a basketball player. And uh, growing up in a small town, I'm not that tall. I'm like six foot two, maybe six foot three. So I had to play center. But in reality, I should have been a guard somewhere. But not um, tall. <laughs> I, yeah. High school, high school was interesting for me because, uh, you know, I goofed off. You can already tell I'm a comedian type of guy, like the laughing joke. But maybe it's my senior year when I kind of like start thinking about what did I want to do for life. And uh, at that time, the only option was go to college. What if I want to own a business? I would say that to teach. She said, no matter what you do, Charles, you're still going to need college. And we tried and tried to go against that, but they pretty much embedded that in us. It was like a military uh, drill sergeant, those teachers about promoting college. If you said anything else, you know, that was a felony. <laughs> yeah. I, that That's kind of the, the rhetoric that I got in high school too. I was, I was very similar. I didn't, I wasn't as serious and as diligent of a student as that I could have and should have been. Um, even in at my senior year, I was fortunate enough that, I was able to split time between my high school, my junior and senior year, and a trade school. So I went and learned a trade, um, which has helped me periodically throughout my life. Um, but the big push always was college. You got to go to college. And for yeah, some for people, it just, it, like me, it, you know, there was no way that I was going to be able to afford it. And I, at the time, I just didn't have an interest in it. Yeah. And, and, you know, believe it or not, I love what you just talked about is trades. Uh, one part of my story of North Carolina is my dad was a licensed plumber. Uh, he had a small business and I also too learned the trade and the trade I learned was plumbing. And like you said, it's 
paid the way for me even today. The job that I work, uh, I've traveled all around the world contracting. It's because of my experience in trade. That was kind of my one of the things that I, I kind of sat back and thought about while I was being pushed to go to college was well, who if everybody goes to college, who's going to be doing the trades? I mean, you need people to to know how to fix your air conditioner, to know how to fix your car, to know how to build a house. To, all these these things that I picked up over the last thirty years of being out of high school, you still need people that to do that, and and they're pretty lucrative businesses, depending upon you know, where you are in that that hierarchy, so to speak. But at the time, it was oh, you got a college, you need college. There's nobody going to yep. succeed without college. <laughs> yes, sir, man, you're taking me down memory lane because I. Um, to another thing that we really see today, uh, my dad is 70 years old. When I was working with him, we couldn't find the help. So here's the shift that we we literally are seeing right before our eyes. You got all these young kids going to college, college, college. That's all great. But now if we look at it from a business standpoint, supply and demand, I don't think the demand is high for a the basic degrees now, doctor, lawyers, attorneys, sure. But all these basic degrees with supply and demand, there's a lot of supply. When I say supply, meaning students with degrees, but the demand in the trade industry is super high, but the supply of workers is low. So my philosophy is, um, if I just give a quick scenario, if a, a class of a thousand is graduating this year in high school, 700 goes to college, 200 go in the military, 100 undecided. I'm If those 100 would go into the trade industry with supply and demand, when people get out of college, they're going to need a house. Yeah. I know other, other people say, hey, this generation doesn't own houses. Well, guess what? They're going to rent an apartment, which still requires somebody from the trade industry. Exactly. The military, they may learn a skill, but even the military, when the, if they get out or if they stay or get stationed somewhere else, is still tied to the housing industry. So if a young person now out of high school would at least consider it, I'm not pro-college and I'm not pro-trades, but I did do them both. If you look at supply and demand, also, this is not my theory. It's just an opinion, global, whatever, climate change, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But the air conditioning unit, water supply short, the drought in California, you're going to need plumbers and electricians. And when supply is less and the demand is high, whoever the supply is, is going to make more money. Right. I think you hit something pretty, pretty important. The drive to send people to school or to college just to get a, a an associate's or a bachelor's. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a, a path in mind that requires a more advanced degree, something along the lines of a master's or a yep. doctorate, maybe taking a year off, learning a trade, getting a little life experience. One of the things that I've noticed, and this is talking to a couple of various types of uh, contractors, is they have a hard time. My my father has a heating and air conditioning business, and he is effectively doing it by himself because he can't find somebody to to, to help him. I would love to be able to to do that. Unfortunately, I have a a full-time job that requires (laughs) me to be at work during the time where he would need the help. But, and same here, not to cut you off, but my dad is 70 years old, and I think he, he that generation really loves to work, and it's the same thing, Michael. My my dad 
we we he could never find a, a good helper. So the the demand is high. I mean, there's thousands of dollars being made every day. Mm -hmm. And I only know the residential side. We did a couple commercial buildings, but mainly residential. So I want to congratulate and salute your father. And and it's he and my father are living proof that the trade industry you can have a lifetime career. Well, yeah, <laughs> I I think there's there was a perspective years ago um, that the trades were for the less intelligent, for people that didn't have a plan. And I think that put this weird stigma on the trades. Some I agree. Of the, some of the most brilliant people I, I've met are in the trades. Exactly. I, I think if people just give it a chance to, to find something, you know, I, it's a conversation I've had with both my kids over the last month and a half or so. Um, nice. Because my my oldest is a uh, sophomore. No, sorry, he's a, crap. He's a junior already, and he's trying to figure out you know what to do. He's like, I don't. I flat out told him, I, you, know, you have three choices: you have the military, you have college, yep. or you have work. Figure yes. it out. I said, but if you don't know what what you want to do and go to college, yep. and you don't want to waste that year just kind of knocking out the the basic core classes, then take advantage of of Votech, which a little hard for him to do this year because he's a junior. But it was the same conversation I had with my youngest, who's a freshman, and I'm like, you know, he was kind of getting upset because he doesn't know what he wants to do. He doesn't know, doesn't have a clue. I'm like, it's fine. You don't have to have a, a clue. You don't even have to have a, a faintest idea of what you want to do. But take the experiences that you're getting at school. Take what they're giving you. Take the classes and the opportunities for the electives to, you know, try something out that you, you might not sure. I not know if you like it or not, but it'll give you an opportunity to, to kind of test the waters with it. And, you know, I would hard recommend to look at the options for Votech because it gives you something. It gives you a trade that you can bring or, or skill set that you can bring to the table for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, and that's what I kind of capitalize on myself. And I love the advice or your perspective on it. Uh, Michael, believe it or not, I took a year off of high school. I said, when I graduated, I didn't even want to go to the graduation ceremony, but my mom made me go. So you earned this. I said, I'm supposed to graduate from high school. This means nothing to me. <laughs> but my dad had that plumbing business the whole time. And I, I respect my dad to this day because what his philosophy was, if you want to learn it, come on your own. Sometimes my mom would push me and my little brother, you ought to go with your dad. And we would get in the little plumbing van when we were little. My dad said, did you come on your own or your mama told you to go? <laughs> I said, our mom told me, he said, get out the van. I want y'all to come when you want to. So when it got serious for me, you know, your senior year, people putting pressure on you, guidance counselor, family member, what you going to do next? What, what? You got to grow up now. So I started to spend a, a lot more time with my dad in that plumbing business. And what I found out is, the more that I went and the longer I stayed, the easier and the funner it became for me. Oh, yeah. Now, when you first, when you don't know nothing, you just don't know nothing. So a, a job that my dad would leave me on, it may took me an hour to do about maybe 15 minutes of work because I didn't know. But once I start seeing how my dad moving, it was like a, a secret society. You could finally go to a job. And in 20 minutes, make $200, $250 because you had the experience. So right. I agree 100% with you. And just listening to you talk, uh, I'm a talker because, of course, I'm a country guy. But just listening to you talk, Michael, I, I thought about something. What you're saying, if a person wants to take a break from college or not go to college or whatever, 
I just thought about it. In the other two options, with the military, guess what? You're still making money, a paycheck. You're going to earn it. Yeah. I've never served, but all my friends and cousins that served me say you actually earn it. Okay. And if you don't go in the military, if a person takes a year off and learn a trade, you're going to get paid. And again, I'm not knocking college, but from a business standpoint, those core classes, are you making money in that first year of college? So it might help a student or even a parent to push that child in that direction if they don't know. And my thing is people graduate at 80 years old with degrees. So all the urgency that was put, oh, you got to, once you stop, you're never going to go back. That's not true. A lot of people go back to college and it's better to go when you understand financial knowledge. If you go to college, you need to know about financial knowledge first. Agreed. I, I didn't go to college right out of high school. I think nice. I think Me I neither. I took a year off. I took a year off. I tried a couple classes. It's just the brick and mortar thing wasn't my thing. And then I went to work with my, my stepfather. Um, he was working for somebody at the time before he had his own business. And I learned the trade. Like you said, it, you don't know what you don't know in, until you're put in a position to, yep. that, that goes, wow, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything. <clears throat> um, but to, to be mentored by somebody who had been doing it for so long that a lot of the shortcuts that yep, people just exactly. don't know, they were, that, that's how I was taught. I was taught through the shortcuts because it was just efficient way of working. You can get so much more done. You know, there was times where, you know, when I first started working with them, I would be doing very basic things, just knocking tin together, together and, and setting up runs and that would be it. But within a month or two of working, like we, he would leave me on site to go back to the shop to pick something up and, and I'd be banging things out. Um, and that's, you know, that's knowledge that I've, I've gained that, that stays with you. And then like you pointed out, just because you're not going to college doesn't mean you're not learning. Learning can be exactly. done in so many other ways than just through a book. I've always been a more hands-on learning, but I didn't actually go start my college until two, over 10 years after I graduated high school. And then it took me about yeah. 10 years of doing online classes, but I, I finally got my, my bachelor's. So you nailed a, I think a really important point is just because you start and you stop doesn't mean you can't go back to finish. And I think exactly. that's, that's something and, that people don't, don't process too well. And another thing I'm pretty sure with what you learned from your stepfather in that business, if you're a homeowner or a renter, or let's say you got a brother or a sister and their house needs some work, you're going to be able to help out family member. And that's one thing that I try to encourage, especially in, you know, minorities or anybody that's growing up in poverty. If you learn to trade, let's say your, your floor is rotten at your mom's house, you're going to be able to fix that once you learn the knowledge and, Another idea that I got, I am believing the law and all that, pay your taxes. But if a young person that's 14, 15, 16 could go work for somebody, if they get paid under the table, you could be making a lot of money out of high school if you get into the trades or any type of business where you're learning that experience. Yeah, and I, the upside to, to being a kid and working is you get all that money back. Even yep. if, you, even if you, you aren't paid under the table, you get all that money back. At, at, at tax time. So you're, you're getting all your money at some point. Um, and on top of it, when you're working in the construction field, there was a lot of stuff that I learned from all the various trades, these little tricks and, and tips yep. that, 
that make owning my home so much easier and cheaper. <laughs> I don't have to pay yeah. somebody. You know, I, I learned through my experiences that, you know, I've replaced my hot water here twice in the couple times exactly. years that we've lived in And our that's house. a big job. I don't know if anybody's ever done it. You look where I'm from. That's about a thousand dollars here in Hawaii where I live. It could be up to three or 4,000 because it, it, it's, that's a major job that plumbers love. We love hot water heaters. It's a job. quick thing that if you know what you're doing, it, it doesn't yeah. take very long at all. It takes like maybe 20 minutes. Um, yeah. But I end up changing things up for my wife because she likes her hot showers. So I put a tankless system in and now she doesn't run nice. out of hot water. <laughs> and, and you know, on that note too, Michael, now a lot of people may disagree with me. Um, I once was married, I'm divorced, but when you're married and you have a honey to-do list, having a little bit of uh, construction knowledge can keep the the love kettle going because <laughs> and again, I'm not being sexist or nothing like that, but if you're a man and you got a girlfriend, a woman in your life and something needs to be fixed, mama's only going to put up with that for a couple of days. So the trade industry can help. I would, I'm being sarcastic, but it's actually true. Keep the romance flame going in your relationship. You know how to fix something. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, there, there's, there's stereotypes of things. Um, but it's, it, it's one of those things that you just try. I'm, I'm trying as a parent to, to get my kids to see that there, there's so much more to life than, than what they, they see or know at the moment. And it, yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about experience and, and doing things that you haven't done just for the sake of the experience. Exactly. Now you were, uh, at some point, you became part of the law enforcement community. How did that come yes. about? And, and I'm happy you brought that up because uh, a few statements ago, you said it's all about learning. And believe it or not, I know maybe people perspective of cops, correctional officers is kind of harsh, but I actually learned from the inmates and detainees that I, that I was monitoring, you know, so I, I will say that you can learn from anybody. Uh, but my background is, uh, and, and this boils back down to the hometown thing. When you grow up in a country town, those county or city jobs are the only ones that pay 40k plus. So I was married at the time. And I said, Hey, you know, I didn't find a job that I went to college for. So I moved back home. And uh, my dad, even though he was a plumber, he actually was a he retired a first sergeant deputy sheriff, but he only did that job to get the benefits. My mom, she really didn't work. So my dad did that. That's how we had health insurance. So I knew the agency, the sheriff that at the time knew my dad, they wanted to see another Charles. My dad was a phenomenal uh, first sergeant. So I got hired on, uh, I started out in the jail and, um, from the jail, uh, I spent nine months there and then they wanted me to go on the road as a deputy. So uh, I ended up going through the North Carolina BLET, basic law enforcement training, and got certified in that. And then I was a deputy sheriff and got to do some phenomenal uh, positions. And for any audience member listening, you know, a deputy sheriff and city police is where we're both law enforcement. But I would say a deputy can be he could be like a dual citizenship citizen and do many other things. I've done uh, patrol. I've done uh warrant squad. I've done civil service where I'm serving uh, papers, uh, foreclosures on houses. I was a bailiff in the courtroom. So I, if I had to go back, my certification is still good. I would still want to be on the deputy side versus a city police where maybe I'm only going to do homicide as a detective, or you're only going to do city traffic. But a deputy, I really got some wonderful life experiences from 
every aspect of law enforcement, even to the courthouse or yeah. working with a magistrate. I, I learned a lot. That's a, it sounds a little bit like uh, the differences between state police in Jersey and we'll call them the local police officers, the municipalities. It, it's funny because if something happens in an area yep. that's, that's controlled <laughs> by the state police, you have to wait for you know their robbery squad, their burglary squad, their motor yep. vehicle squad, whatever. But in town, that first officer is the one that's, that's starting initiating the investigation and, and, and is, you know, it's crucial to the detectives to, to do a good job as soon as you get there, where they're handling the motor vehicle accidents, we're handling the traffic control, we're handling the burglaries and the robberies and, and the theft. Yeah. And, you know, we literally do everything. Um, so it was just one of those, those inter law enforcement ball busting that goes on between, uh, between agencies. Yeah, jurisdiction. That's the number. And, and, you know, just for the audience, uh, I don't want to get too deep in it, man, but I just love it. Just hearing you talk now, if there was a murder and half of the body is on one county <laughs> and the legs is on another one, you're going to argue on who, what jurisdiction. Well, the head is the brain, so it's your case. It's your case. <laughs> I got to see that, and I became very educated about jurisdiction. <laughs> well, maybe it happened here, and the body fell that way. So yep. <laughs> we, had a, we had an accident on one of the main arteries between my town and the town next door, and it was just after the town next to us had merged. Um, it was a borough and a township and they merged into one, two separate agencies and they merged into one agency. And we had a, two pedestrians on a bike get struck. We knew it was on their side of the line. Um, the officers that were the township officers who knew the boundaries knew that it was their call to take. But the sergeant that was on had come from the borough and didn't know she wasn't as familiar with the boundaries with having everybody, including my sergeant, going, this is clearly yours. There's the border. There's the, the accident. This is yours. She refused to let her people do anything until they brought out a map and she could look at it and see everything. Wow. And it's just, I, we were kind of laughing about it going, you know, it's one thing if you, you don't know. But when you've got a ton of people, including your own people, saying, yeah, this is ours, you know, can we get going with this? Or we want to get moving with it. Um, it, it was just comical. But, yeah, jurisdiction is always a, a fun thing, especially for, you know, petty motor vehicle accidents. It's like, why don't we just push the car over there and say it happened over there? Yeah. What uh, what prevented you from main, uh, keeping in or staying in law enforcement? <sighs> Or I should say, why you change gears? Out? No, 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 no. I'm going to keep it real because it, it is a, a real issue, I think, in, in this country. Um, I went through a divorce. And at that time, um, I just felt like uh, I didn't have nothing to lose. Uh, I had a cousin who contracted overseas for many years. And every time he would come home, he would let me know about some of the the, the the paychecks and stuff that he was receiving. So when I kind of went through a divorce, I felt like I didn't have nothing to lose. I was sick and tired. And here's the interesting thing about law enforcement. I have to speak my own personal truth. You can't get in it for the money. And I didn't. Um, I think I might've made from the good old state of North Carolina. This is like uh, 2014 on a regular paycheck paid bi-weekly. 
after the tax man got out, got <laughs> done with me, North Carolina forcible retirement, might have made $900 every two, every, every uh, bi-weekly. So about $1,800 a month for us, North Carolina. Now, wow. that's not a lot of money. But as my dad laid down the foundation for me, I only did that job to get the medical. And I also thought about retirement. I said, hey, I'm going to retire one day. So that's why I stuck with that job. So after working a 12-hour shift of patrol, I would lay down three hours and say, hey, dad, what jobs do I need to go? I made more money in the plumbing working part-time than I did as a deputy. But once I kind of went through a divorce and I kind of got burnt out, um, and this is a thing, if you're ever in law enforcement or even if people see police officers as we see today, it's easily to get burnt out when you're giving so much to other people's situations, problems, and that, you know, I didn't even know that it, I, I felt the way I felt until after I kind of left. So um, I would just say the circumstances that happened externally, not even having to do nothing with the job, kind of led me to uh, leave from there. I had an opportunity to go overseas and make uh, some decent money that could set me up to be ahead. And that's what I did. I ended up uh, leaving that job. My last post was a resource officer at a middle school. And I got a call and an email from an overseas company to go do some armed security overseas. And I said, you know what? I don't have nothing to lose. This job in North Carolina will still be here for me. Uh, They'll hold my cert. And if I ever want to come back, I would. And I told myself and actually the people there, hey, I need one year. I want to go make some tax-free money. Uh, that was in 2015. Many years later, I haven't been back, but my heart is still there for law enforcement. I was part of that community, but just the circumstances that happened to me, I, I wanted to change. You, you mentioned burnt out, and that's a, it's one of those things that, that is stigmatized um, with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that I think when you look at the the culture of law enforcement, the, the the various optics that law enforcement is viewed through, there's a lot of people who think they understand what goes on. Uh, yep. There's a lot of people vocal about law enforcement that really have no clue or understanding of what it is that these officers are being, you know, pressed with. Um, I'm a firm believer that Jersey has, obviously I'm biased, but I think we have the best trained officers in the country. But I think there's things that we could do to make them even better. And given the climate over the last six, seven years, the incidents, the the scrutiny, the absurd criticism criticism sometimes, um, I think anything we can do to make the officers better and more prepared is only a benefit. Um, you know, in, in Jersey, I think we spent a lot of time going through the laws and, and like literally page through page for all the various statutes. And, and I understand and, and agree, you need to have an, a functional understanding of what constitutes a violation of the law. But it seemed like they were driving a little too deep into stuff that, you know, after you get out of the, the academy, you go back to your station do some little field training, and then you put it on your own. When you come back to the rest after you're arresting somebody, as long as you know that what constitutes the violation of the law, you can arrest them, and then you can get all that fine, fine detail back at the station. 
you have the resources, you have the books and everything. I think if they took some time away from the super deep dive into the laws that, you know, what differentiates between a second and a third degree and put that time to practicals and a few other ideas of interaction and, and types of training that, that you can give officers to, to better prepare them to respond to incidents. Um, and as I mentioned to you the other day when we were setting things up, there's this perspective that law enforcement is, there's just this adversarial position between the law enforcement community and the people. And I think it, a lot of the incidents that have occurred specifically over the last six or seven years, they, they initiated off on the wrong foot, whether it was the officer coming off with the attitude or the, the person that was being a citizen who was, was starting off on a different lack of respect footing. If people just had a little more respect for each other as humans, yeah. I think a lot of the stuff that, that goes on would just be even more rare than it already is. Yeah, and you and you know, Michael, that that is so true. And again, uh, I think we talked about this before. You know, as we were setting up this meeting, one thing that I can say, far as uh, a scenario for me at being a deputy sheriff and not a city cop, I love what my training officer said. His name was Lieutenant Conception. He was a former Marine, and he was born in Guam. He said, "Charles, let me tell you something. When you're out here on these backcountry roads, you better be careful how you talk to people because guess what." your backup is always almost going to be another 20 to 30 minutes away. So anybody that's listening, when you live in a big city and you see a traffic stop and you see all them three, four patrol cars show up in a second, that's cool for a city cop. But when you're a deputy and you're on some dark country road, you have to be very careful because maybe my backup would be uh, a state highway patrolman that just had to be in that area at the time if, if I got a call or the next county over. And everybody knows North Carolina, I'm from the East Coast. It's not near Charlotte or Raleigh. I'm on the coastline. So it's a lot of country towns there. So that's one uh, thing I learned as an officer already. Uh, you have to be very careful and assess a lot of things. And like you said, it all boils down to treating people he, as, a, as a human being, you know, you, you never know what that person is going through. If you're an officer and you're pulling somebody over, maybe they just got evicted. They went through a divorce. Maybe they got PTSD and then vice versa for the citizens. You don't know what that officer has got on his mind as well. So I look at it as a uh, like a truce. We, we need a packed truce yeah. to just understand both sides of the coin. And lastly, I would say, it's kind of hard for me to make this statement, but I am happy for what it took for me to become a deputy. Uh, I grew up, again, in Onslow County. There was a sheriff named Ed Brown that ran for a long time, and he kept winning and winning. Nobody would run against him at one point in time, and eventually he lost. But I love this philosophy, and his philosophy was he didn't care if you already had the BLET certification to go on the road to patrol he always started majority of people in that jail. And what I was told was what his philosophy was, if you can't make it in the jail, you're not going to make it on patrol because you're going to deal with the same people. And it, it was hard. 
especially as men, if you're an alpha male, you want to, you tell somebody that they're going to jail and they tell you you're not, you're going to try to, you know, force them out the car. But in jail, you couldn't do that. You had an inmate could spit on you. They could talk junk about your wife. And guess what? You had to, I don't want to say tolerate it, but you had to accept that and you go on about your business and continue to be a professional. So I know if there was any program to to screen out or to get an officer to show his true colors, that would be a good scenario to see because you're typically going to be dealing with the citizens of a county or a city or just people in general. Yeah. And maybe too, that's, that's another side of law enforcement. I'm a people person. You know, I, I was happy to talk to you knowing that you were former law enforcement. So I'm a people person. That's and I nice. think that's another flip side. So if you're an aggressive person, maybe don't do the people person and patrol. You have to <laughs> deal with people. Yeah. Go join the warrant squad or what do you call this? It's been so long since I've been in the uh, SWAT team. If, if you're that, the SWAT team would, would love somebody who loves to put they you know, aggressive, but patrol it, it does come down to getting physical but i would say it was all about communication just how you talk and treat the people and how you started the the initiate the the uh contact i was a big fan of the idea of you get more with honey than you do with vinegar and i also think that the academy is a good spot to kind of weed out people because they could be they can make your life a living hell and it was all a matter of if you can't tolerate Somebody yep. screaming in your face with the understanding in the back of your head that they couldn't physically touch you, but they could, yep. they could lay into you verbally, uh, you know, super harsh, super aggressive. If you couldn't tolerate that, you weren't going to tolerate it when you're out on the road and know that you don't know what that person's going to do next. That There's nothing yep. stopping that person from, from, you know, physically attacking you. So I, I think that, our academies in, in Jersey do a good job of, of weeding people out. I mean, uh, working at and teaching at the academy that we have in, in town or in county, rather, um, I saw it firsthand on the first day. You know, it's a shout-down day, just like in the military. You know, the some of the, some of the guys reveled in that because they knew that you have to have a certain mindset to yep. be an officer and, and be able to be pushed to a, to a limit and, and not break. And if they yep. can break people they're going to break them because then you don't deserve to have a badge and a gun. And, and you know, my, while we're on this subject, it's, it's a different vibe out there now. You know, if oh, I, yeah. if I, if, if I still was in that, I would already know that, that, Hey, that person got a dash camera. They got a hidden camera in the car. So let me just approach them as I normally would, right. You know, right. and play the game, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. And again, dealing with the public, it, it, you really learn a lot of communication skills. And again, being a deputy, I don't know if anybody understands it. Just because you see an officer on a scene, he could have pending calls on his computer. I remember I was down 10 calls because, you know, when you're a deputy, you're by yourself. And I remember a lady, maybe it was somebody stole her child bike and I showed up there, you know, late and she got an attitude with me. Oh my gosh, it took you this long to get here and all this other stuff. I said, ma'am, hold on a second. And I ran back to my squad car. And I always kept applications there. And I came back with an application. And I looked her straight in her face and I said, ma'am, if we had people like you, you probably could help out this fast. Would you want to come work with us? And she looked at me like she wanted to kill me, <laughs> you know, but I, I you know, when, when you're there, a, a cop is not a, a savior. We can help through certain situations, but we're, we're not going to be uh, a savior. So I, I'm just learning myself as I look back over that career path. It really taught me to see 
the human condition of everybody, including myself, you yeah. know, it's it, the, the lack of understanding of people. And, and I think something that could probably be taught better and be extremely useful to anybody in law enforcement is the ability to defuse and deescalate. Yeah. Um, you know, your, your way of, of handling that was comical, but it was, it was poignant. It, it's a matter of, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be complaining about it. I see on your your shelf back there you've got a couple books. What are they about? They're about the hottest topic that's in America right now, college or trades. Um before I went to college, um I had to take out student loans, but I needed a co-signer. So I had asked my dad to co-sign the loan and he actually started to sign the paperwork. And then he said, no, he's not going to sign it. He said, you know, you should have already had credit established. I taught you plumbing. That's all you need. If you want to go to college, guess what, brother? You got to pay for it on your own. So that book is really about me, how I went into the mentality to pay for my own college. And because I knew from the get-go that I'm 100% responsible, I ended up cutting my college costs by 40%. And I document it. I show what I was awarded, what loans I took, and how I cut my college costs by 40%. And one thing that I did, I don't mind sharing this, and it's in the book. Most kids, when you go home for the summertime, you're playing or you're visiting family. What I did, I went back to my community college, took more electives, and transferred them back to the university. And I end up graduating a year earlier. So I give so many tips from how do you select the right meal plan? How do you become an RA and you can live on campus free? I did all that. And instead of my bachelor's costing me about 35000 I got it down to 18000 Wow. So that's called Chadwick's College Checklist. And I give so many free tips. And again, this book is not about scholarships or 529 savings plan. This book is what you want to read after you get your award package because I, my philosophy is for young people to start understanding finances just because I put a piece of paper in front of you with a magical number does not mean you have to pay that full price for it. You can check off what you don't want to pay for in college. So that's called Chadwick's college checklist. And the second book is called Chadwick cultivated circumstances experiences sometime priceless. Um, That was featuring readers digest this year of 2022. And all it is, During the pandemic, I really thought hard about my life. And I said, the only reason that I am working and was made essential is because, of course, I'm a contractor, but I'm working in construction. And that's where I really went through some stuff where sometimes it's not about the money. If you can get that experience, guess what? It's going to be priceless. And I talked about all the scenarios. Uh, I worked with a car mechanic for six months, never once asked to get paid. I learned how to work on cars. And when I went to college, people were paying me to work on their cars. So experience is priceless. And I also salute my dad and talk about what plumbing has done for me. And it raised that question in there, you know, with college or trades. Right now we see people who go to college, some of them are ending up with a lifetime worth of debt and bills. People in the trade industry, guess what? they're getting a lifetime earning skills. And again, I, I salute your stepfather, whatever his age is, he's still working. My dad is 70 years old, still running his business. People are still calling him and he has to turn work down. So that's <laughs> what made me uh, write these books during the pandemic. And I think I touch on both areas, college and trade, which one, maybe a person can do both. And that's what 
I'm trying to, if I was a politician or had a message, my message would be there needs to be a duality mentality for the economy. Just don't settle with a degree. Right. Take all that college and bring it right to the trade industry because the next generation are going to be the ones solving environmental problems. Also, as housing changes, we need young people, minorities, women, everybody in the trade industry if we want to continue to live in the great nation. And again, I don't like politics, but build back a better America, whatever. We're not going to just do it with degrees alone. We're going to have to get everybody in the trade industry and the trade industry of any country or nation is always going to be the backbone. Absolutely. I I got nothing to add to that. I mean, that that, that was just on point. I'm going to venture to say you have some, some thoughts on the recent bill that was passed for the debt relief. What, yeah. is, what, what is your take on that? Okay. I do know people are hurting. They're struggling. But it, there's so many ways you can look at it. Me, if it is going to happen, I don't know if it is. You know, Congress is blo- some states are blocking it now, which I, I love because it's, it's a life problem. But I think it should be on a case-by-case basis. If my, They say it's not going to require everybody else tax dollars, but I know, in my opinion, that's not the truth. I would hate to think that I'm bailing out somebody with a 1.5 GPA. All they did was party and go to college. So I'm not saying yes or no. I stand on both sides at the crossroad on it. Because here's my thing. And the numerical amounts of what they're forgiven, 10000 20000 a college student can easily switch over to an electrician or plumber as an apprentice or a laborer, and they're going to clear 10000 or maybe 20000 if they work a full year. So I disagree with that. I'm also thinking, too, I'm not trusting Social Security. I don't know if it's going to be there for me, but this just shows where we're at, in my opinion. I'm not an economist or not. This is all my opinion. But if a young person now in America need help, with, you know, 10,000 or whatever, and they're, they're going to be able to work another 30, 40 years. You mean to tell me so that where, where would my social security be if generation A is set the pathway for generation B and then generation C is supposed to work and help me out. So I feel like it should just be a case by case basis. I feel the students should have to do something and it has nothing to do to do nothing to do with student loans. This is just my philosophy as a good work ethic. And what we were talking about with law enforcement, what I thought about, Michael, for those little amounts, I would have did this. And again, I'm not a president. I'm not a politician, but this is what I would do. And it would, on my end, it's a win-win situation. Depending on what a person graduated in, let's say criminal justice. We know there's a police problem. Go work at a police department. X amount of hours, we're going to forgive X amount of dollars if you volunteer some time. And they're going to learn a skill in that process. If there's some data that needs to be collected, cool. Or if a person uh, did IT tech services, go work for the NSA. Help us with this new cybersecurity uh, war. Work a year for them. And we'll swipe even more than 20000 But I feel like the students should have to do something versus just getting it all for nothing. And my thing is... It would boost their self-confidence because anytime somebody bail you out and you didn't 100% work and your sweat and tears, in, you ain't going to appreciate it. And that's just my opinion. Even if my dad would have bought me something at an early age, he didn't, I wouldn't appreciate it. I appreciate everything that I work for now because I knew what it take to do it. I think there's a lot of validity to everything you just said. My, my perspective on, 
on the law is that it is unilaterally a good thing. And I think it, it has less to do with the the individual that is benefiting it from themselves. I think it has more to do with the fact that there's so many instances of people who've been paying for 20, 30 years for, you know, $100,000 or, or even $20,000. And they're paying 10, 20 years worth of, of loan payments and their principal isn't going down at all. They have, there's actually people who have, are paying, still owe more than they actually borrowed because of the way the, the lending system is set up. So I think that the executive order that the president signed is a, is a starting point to say, hey, this needs to be fixed. And if you don't want to spend this money and, and have to, to adjust things to, to cover this, then we need to go after the predatory lending practices and, and the way that this is all set up because it is truly predatory. There, there's no other way to put it. The, the, the way that it is set up, it, it's almost set up to never get out of it. And yeah, there are, <laughs> there are many people who get out of it. There are people who, yeah. who, who succeed and, and they figure out ways to, to pay, but it's like the only loan that you can get where if you die, somebody else is still responsible for it. Even if they didn't co-sign for it, there, there's no way of, of getting out of it. And with anything else, you know, if you, you go bankrupt, you can write it off. You don't know it anymore. And then I, I look at the argument uh, and some of the people who are arguing against it saying that they don't want their money, you know, they shouldn't have to be on the hook to pay somebody else's college. Well, these are the same people who literally took millions of dollars from the government during COVID for triple P loans and they had no problems when the government said, no, yeah, don't worry about paying those back those millions of dollars. This is like a way to give people a little bit of a breathing room at a minute level compared to the amount of money that was forgiven for these millions of dollars. To me, it, it, you have no leg to stand on. If you took a triple P loan and didn't pay it back at all or didn't pay it all back, you have no room at all to disagree with the, the loan forgiveness for college. I, I agree, man. And on the flip side, I, I've really thought about this situation. I wrote these books, uh, one of the books in uh, 2021 and the other one. And I talk about this because I look at it this way, Michael, and you, you said it, you, you hit the, 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 the nail on the head. It's easy to get a student loan. I mean, they, they'll hook a young person up with a hundred thousand dollars. But if that same person had a hundred thousand dollar business idea, and went to a local bank or try to get a government grant, it's going to be more difficult Absolutely. to do that. So why, why do we, why uh, in this country, do we do that to young people? I think from a business standpoint, not me, but if somebody is in the business of predatory lending, it's genius yeah. because I, the, the best scenario, how I've been describing to people in my opinion is like this. I'm a mafia guy. Michael, you come to me, you got a gambling problem. Hey, Charles, I need 10 grand. I'm going to say, okay, Michael, no problem. I can afford to give you that. Why? Because I'm already a millionaire. I'm already money laundering. Michael, it's time to pay up your 10000 Well, Charles, I, I I was up big in Vegas and blah, 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 but I dropped. Can I get another 10000 I'll keep giving it to you. You know why? Because you're, you're more, you're an asset to me. As long as you're alive, the rest of my life, we could meet every day and live in the same area. As long as I see Michael, he owes me. And that's a lifetime worth of debt. So that's my philosophy on I think it's genius on the predatory lenders. So now I hope people are going to start waking up to really look at this thing. And 
that's my truth. I sold a lot of items off eBay right out of high school. I think I saved $10,000. I went to my bank, said, hey, I'm doing good at this. I showed them my sales. I said, can I get a loan for $20,000? I want to start buying cars. No, you don't have credits or staff. But when I went to college, man, they they offered a brother thousands with, with, yep. with no proof that I could, you know, Pay recoup back. that money. So that's where I stand, too. If we're going to do this for student loans, give it to the students who may be in poverty, but they have a way out. They just... They just need some money. So my philosophy is I, I've read a lot of books. Robert Kiyosaki says student loans is one of the hardest debts to ever forgive. So I think it's genius. Not that fact that people are struggling, but if somebody is playing games, it's genius to give a young person that much money because guess what? Logically, what is a person going to do? They have to work. I don't know how old you are. I'm going to be 38 soon. I'm still working, man. <laughs> I think that there's there's a number of factors that play into it. I don't think that the education system prepares kids enough mm-hmm. with financial intelligence. Yep. And then, like you pointed out, you know, when they're applying for colleges, the number and the volume of offers they get for loans is crazy, is insane. <laughs> what they're not looking at is well, and and there and then on the other side of that, or or to parallel that, you have the push or well, you have to go to college. You have to go to college. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. But there are other options. There, there are a number of other options. Um, and without having the, the financial understanding of the impact of, of how that is going to play out. And the fact that you literally have this almost bottomless piggy bank over here, people just throwing money at you because they know they're going to pay it. You're going to pay it sometime. You don't have to worry about paying while you're still in school but you're going to pay for the rest of your life and then some afterwards. Yep. Um, and, and, you, and you know what, too? I don't think a lot of people know these are guaranteed loans from the government. So that's why college costs is going to continue to rise. Now, uh, I heard somebody said this, and again, I, I, I'm not into politics, but I do keep my ear open to listen for entertainment purposes. But I know with uh, Georgia, uh, Warnock and Herschel, they, they talked about them. They said, what would you do about college prices going up? Herschel Walker said, if a college goes up in cost, then cut off the federal aid to keep that cost down. But when something is guaranteed, it don't matter. If I'm a used car salesman and I know you're going to get approved for the minimum of $100,000, if I'm a sleazeball or whatever or you know a greedy person, I'm going to sell you that car for $100,000 because I know you're pre-approved. So right. That is an issue, too. I don't think people understand the loans that these colleges are given are federally backed and they're guaranteed loans. So yeah. if you know for a fact you're going to get something, guess what? You got to continue to go up in college costs and tuition to continue to get all that money and build the students. That's a, a whole nother ball of wax is, is, you know, that's the other thing that people seem to fail to understand yeah, the, the whole thing is, well, I paid off my college loans and I did all this. Well, these are people who went to college in the 60s and 70s when you could go and get a, a full degree, a four-year degree for $20,000. And that's a lot. Where now you can't even do a semester for $20,000. So it's a matter of the, the times and, and finances not keeping up with each other. Um, you know, inflation is, is, is obviously a a big thing right now. Um, but so is wages. If wages would have kept up with inflation, this hit on inflation that we've had wouldn't be as impactful because 
the money would be there, so to speak. Um, and that's a, a whole other conversation. Oh, yeah. But it, it, it's it's. But but one thing one thing I can't say on the wage thing. Now I was uh, over the pandemic. I followed Milton Friedman and uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell, and I'm pretty surprised uh, through my research. Every time they do push the minimum wage up, the unskilled workers lose jobs, and it's very interesting to me about that too. Because here in this country, you are a person is free to do whatever they want. So one thing Milton Friedman had said. The thing about freedom, you got to understand freedom within itself. And I'm pretty sure you did college. You learned to trade. Sometimes you got to push, but it does seem like inflation is up there. And I don't think there's no amount that would help a person because the time, the best scenario I give, if me and you own a restaurant, government say, hey, you got to pay every employee $15 an hour. I'm going to look at you and say, Michael, we can keep people full time or we're going to have to cut them part time. The meat that we buy for this spaghetti sauce is up 20%. So everything goes up to to level itself out. But if a person maybe wants to push their self, you know, to go back to school or follow their passion, I think that's the better route. And I think that's where we're at. Even through this whole conversation today, America was always about what? Entrepreneurship. So now we might be seeing the college era is fading out and people going to go do what they need to do to make a living. Two things to, to to touch on what you just said. One, when schools tell kids and students, "Oh, you got to go to college. You got to go to college." Go to it college. doesn't seem that they give them a direction or, yep. or or nudge them down a certain path. It's just go to college, figure it out. Yep. If people went to college to pursue that passion, whatever that passion may be. I don't think we would have as big of a problem as we have now. Not to say that we wouldn't have the problem at all, but when people are, are working with the passion, it, it's just a different, different. mindset. Yeah. And then the other aspect is the problem with, with upping the minimum wage now is it's gone so long since it's actually been upped that in order to get to where people need to be to have that living wage, it's almost doubling salary, which is a problem in of itself. So yeah, you do have these small businesses, you know, the, the restaurant that we have, so to speak, where if we went 40 years without having to increase people's pay from $7, and then all of a sudden, yeah. four years later, <laughs> oh, 15. well, the minimum wage now is $15, now you're more than doubling that. Yeah, you're gonna, yeah. it's going to be a harder hit for it. But if things would have been incrementally going up, as yeah, the, the cost of living time. has yeah. gone up the whole time, if everything yeah. would slide scale would have been stayed together, it wouldn't be as big of an impact, and we would probably wouldn't even be talking about having to pay a living wage because people would be making a living wage. The problem is, is yeah. consumer products have gone up, um, and and wages haven't. You know, there and that's again there there are economic aspects of that that I completely bog my brain. I've never been great with numbers. But I do hear, keep my ear out for things, and I, and I listen to here. a number of different sources to, to kind of counter things out. But it's it's just a... It's very interesting. It's, it's a shitty time. <laughs> it's a shitty time yeah. we'll be living in right now because there's, there's so many variables. There's so much unknown. There's there's so much nonsense going on. There, there's Everybody thinks that they're authority. Everybody thinks that, you know, their opinion is the right opinion. And, and there's no... There's no civil discourse anymore. There's no willing to compromise. There's no, let's just sit and 
and chat like we are. People yeah. need to get out of their own heads a little bit and just relax a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, Michael, that's where I'm at now. Um, as I said earlier, I've been overseas to other countries and being born and raised in America and an American. I, I can tell you this much. My perspective has changed tremendously when you look at opportunities compared to what I saw in other countries. So I think, too, some Americans should look at what's going on in other countries and then turn around and look back where we're at now. It, it may seem bad, and it is, but it's not on the level what I've seen in other countries because it's, it's factually based. You can see how foreigners come here and they do so well because they're hungry and they know the opportunities that we have that right. they don't. So when they come over here, it's nothing for a foreigner that don't speak English, that don't have a dime. Give them two, three years. They already own a business and bought a house. They have and bring that. in a family member from over there. So I think as Americans, you, sometimes you could forget where you're at if you don't really take advantage of those opportunities. And my life changed tremendously by going overseas and seeing how other people live. Yeah, I I think that's one of the the biggest things is people don't. I think that falls under complacency. People are just complacent to how easy things are, so to speak. You know, the access that we have to things, the some and resources, things, the resources yeah. that that some people just take for granted. You know, these are things that yeah we have pretty good access to a lot of stuff that most other countries don't have. And for as bad as things are politically, economically, all of the ways in America, we still have it better than the vast majority of, of the world. So, it, Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I was laughing at my job. I work in construction. One of the guys said, Charles, we're living as kings did back in the medieval time, only the kings could have the, the nice feasts and it, everybody else was like a peasant in one sense. So we're living as kings now, but yet people are it's still seeing dark ages. But I'm, <laughs> I'm wising up and I'm learning to think outside the box. And I think that's the, the key thing, too, because here in America, believe it or not, you don't have to work for somebody else. You could start your own business. But I think We've been living off the past of what other people, innovators and innovation that sometimes a person can forget. You got to create your own style or your own uh, pathway. And that can be done in this country for sure. There's there's a lot of ways to, to spin a wheel. You don't necessarily have to reinvent it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so. We've, uh... and, and I remember and I remember, too, not to cut you off, but you you had some IT background, too, with the computers, right? Yeah, I actually have a degree in communications and network management. Nice, nice, nice. I, I'm, Where I'm, do you... Sorry, I'm all about learning. I, 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 I'll be a student for life. If something perks in my head, I'm like, I, I want to learn about that, and I'll, I'll do just do a deep dive into it. Yeah. Um. And one point I wanted to bring out too, and I talk about this in my book, is that the CompTIA website for those certifications. I never knew this, but talking to one of my uh, friends who contracted with me, he said. There's no age, really age requirement. So if a 13-year-old can be certified in A++, plus, uh, security plus, some networking certs, you can get certified and you can go ahead and go to work at 13. And that might crush the college industry. But had I known that information now in high school, I would have went and got every CompTIA certification I could. And by my senior year, you might could drop an 80000 or hundred k job. And with the cyber world and the next generation... Yeah. I kind of think the trade industry that we know, me and you, plumbing, electrical, is going to be more cyber. This uh, is going to be the new trade. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, it's going to be, you know, I think that would kind of pair off of the the electrical construction aspect of it because of it, the low voltage wiring and all that. But I, I firmly believe you're, you're always going to need people 
in the various facets of construction work. Yeah. There will be new trades to, to accompany that, you know, home automation is a huge thing. Um, yeah. But it, there's just so much. And, and with the CompTIA stuff and a lot of the computer network, at least the stuff that I learned in school was, was the absolute basics. But by the time I graduated, a lot of that was just antiquated because yep, technology is <laughs> so, so rapidly developing. Yeah. We've, uh, we've been chatting for actually just over an hour, so I'm going to shorten things up, and I'm only going to ask two random questions. Okay, and, I'm ready. And we'll wrap things up. So the first question would be, would you rather be serenaded by Celine Dion or Barbara Streisand? Uh, probably Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I, I can't stand Barbara Streisand's voice. And the <laughs> other fun one, would you consult a Ouija board or a Magic 8-Ball for answers? Okay, I'm going to take you back to that Bible Belt, man. I was always taught that Ouija board is bad. I've heard some crazy stories, so I like to play pool, and I know we ain't supposed to trust it, either, but I'll go with the eight ball, the Ouija board. There's too many scary movies and real-life people stories that I've read about that that board is something else. <laughs> I would, uh, I'm going to counter and go with the, with the Ouija board. Spirits from, uh, from ancient times might be able to give me a little more guidance than a little plastic ball with a I'll I'll (laughs) tell you a story. I had an aunt and she told me that her child brought that board in the house and I'm not a conspiracy theory. They said they threw it away and the next morning it came back on their doorstep. (laughs) So you can have that Ouija board, Michael. I don't want no part. (laughs) Uh, Charles, I I greatly appreciate the conversation. I would love to keep on talking. Um, Have to do that again in the future. Uh, Any, where can people find you and your books? Yeah, um, you're gonna, they're going to love my uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Follow me at Reduce College Debt. That's my goal is to reduce college debt. And then just find me on my website, Chadwick's Experiences. That's C-H-A-D-W-I-C-K-S. And then Experience with an S, ChadwickExperiences.com. And the new little comical series I got now, I call myself the Pastor of the student loan disaster. And I have a Jerry curl wig. I got buck teeth and it's on my website page. Look at the pastor of student loan disaster. And I preach about sermons about college and trades, how to cut costs and then how to learn a trade. I think it's hilarious. I came up with the idea because student loans, in my opinion, is a disaster. And somebody got to be the pastor of the disaster. <laughs> I will make sure that all those links are on there. And uh, I'm definitely going to have to go check out some of those, uh, some of those clips. It's, okay, been a, it's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much, man. And, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity for having me, Michael. Not a problem. I appreciate having you on. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.